0: software is the fastest growing space in the world and I still believe software is you know at one of percent it, of its potential as, as a whole industry you know I think that the innovation in software is, is going to only accelerate where software is right now it's only one percent of where it's going to be. Welcome to the Disruptware podcast. Whether you're just starting up or scaling your software business we interview the experts with ideas and strategies you can
1: implement today. Now here's your host Paul Clifford. Hi there, software entrepreneurs, and welcome to the Disruptware podcast. This is the show for entrepreneurs who are either just starting out or those who already have a software company and are looking for techniques and ideas for massively scaling their business. And the way we do that is to interview experts in the market who are already running their software company. And whatever level they are at, they have great content to share, and we dig deep to get factual experiences that you can put into action right now. So let's get on with our guest today. Okay, so I'm really keen to introduce you guys to Vinay Patanka from Process Street. Now, Vinay's just uh, in the process of launching his MVP, um, so he's in beta phase. And Process Street is a tool to manage basically teams' tasks as a productivity tool. So uh, if you think of standard operating procedures and outsourcing, then he's really come up with an ideal solution for a real market need. Vinny, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Paul.
1: Excellent. So, look, first of all, I mean, tell me a bit about yourself. You know, who are you and what, what, what do you do with Process Street?
0: Sure. I mean, my background's a bit of a, a bit of a mixed bag. I'm originally from Australia. Uh, i got a background in IT and uh, sales, marketing business. I worked as a software recruiter for a while, as well as worked in technology. Um, and for the last four years, I've been traveling as a digital nomad running a online lead generation company, uh, launched uh, two startups, Cross Street being my second one. And I've been working, building Cross the Street uh, product for about the last six months.
1: Wow, and you, you're not actually based in the US, are you? You're based, um, was it in uh, Argentina yeah, well, or Buenos Aires?
0: Yeah, we're car- well we're currently in Buenos Aires. Basically yeah. the, last, the last startup that I ran, I was in San Francisco, we went through an accelerator um, and didn't get the traction we wanted, so kind of ended up shutting that down. And when building across the Street, we thought, okay, we could stay in San Francisco or um, you know go to go to another US city or we could just go to somewhere that's cheaper and have a new experience of living in a different city, kinda of like a, a semi a semi holiday if you will. Um, but because we don't, because we're just building the product, we didn't really need to be near any any of our customers or anything at that current stage of the company. Mm. So it was just about you know going somewhere that we that we thought would be fun and a good experience, and uh, just just giving ourselves like the time and flexibility to put our heads down and, and actually just focus on building the product.
1: And do you think it's really important to sort of be in the valley, you know, be be in the Bay Area for to, to actually get uh, investors on board?
0: I definitely think it helps. I mean, there's a huge there's a huge difference between the environment of being in San Francisco or in the Valley, than being anywhere else in the world. Because just every every day, all your interactions, you're surrounded by by people who um, can either help your business in some way or know somebody who can help your business in some way. Like just going to the to the local Starbucks or going out to to a bar for a beer in the evening or whatever, there's just like always people around that kind of work in that same space and are interested in what you're doing or have connections with people that might be useful. Whereas in all the other cities, most of the other cities in the world, there isn't that same type of exposure. So I don't think, I mean, if you have an amazing product with traction, sure you don't need to be there, but I think that just from a networking perspective, you're gonna get more opportunities to pitch more people. Um, you know, so you're gonna have to get generate more leads by being in San Francisco than not
1: got it and um you know i often tell people that you know nowadays because software is is a lot faster to build and develop it it really does pay to sort of get your first customers on board and show some traction before you go out to the investor community and and start scaling you know how do you feel about that notion
0: yeah no i, I absolutely 100 agree um if you if you check out my uh my post mortem on my last startup, which was Vitoto, V I T O T O, you can just type in like why Vitoto failed. That was one of the things that I talked about, um, and that was a big uh, reason for why my last startup failed. Was because um, I, I went in too early trying to raise money instead of just putting my head down and focusing on the product. So I think that there's different stages of the startup of, of a software startup, and I don't think that you need to be in San Francisco like right now like when you're actually building your MVP I, I, in fact like the cost of living in San Francisco is so high that I probably recommend you don't go while you're building your MVP and use the money that you would spend living in San Francisco on making your product better um, and, and and once you, you get to a point where you, yeah, you have some customers have some traction you know then and, and you think that it's ready to kind of take to take the growth stage um, that's the point where you consider going back into San Francisco uh, or raising money
1: okay and you know when you did your first startup you, you know you, you hinted at this about some mistakes you made what looking back would you never do again you know what could you tell sort of you know our, our tribe on you know what what advice could you give them when they're thinking about building their startup
0: sure well there was a there was a number of things that i think we did wrong um uh one of the one of the first things was uh, uh like like you mentioned before was not getting traction. So um, it was what I'd basically, and that, and not getting traction came down to kind of, I guess, a planning a planning error. And what that was, was without, without budget and planning, like, okay, we, we're just going to get an MVP. Um, we're going to get MVP out the door. And once the MVP is out the door, it's going to be awesome. And then we're going to get traction and get money. And that was a huge mistake in thinking that, you know, we only need a budget up till the MVP, because once we, once we launched the MVP, we were like, oh man, we actually have six months worth of iterations and learning from customer feedback to actually get this to a point where it can get traction. And we didn't have the runway, the budget to, to do all those like post MVP iterations that were needed. And, and without the traction, it was very difficult to raise money. So it was kind of like this Cash 22 situation where you needed money to get traction, you needed traction to get money and that wasn't planned for from the beginning, and that was one of the crucial mistakes. Um, And then that was probably the most crucial mistake. And then kind of things that that, that tapped into that were, for example, the team. Um, Basically, the team that I I kind of put together for Matoto was a very experienced team, but um, also expensive. There were two guys from Australia and they had a lot of overheads, mortgages, um, offices, stuff like that that needed to be covered. And Australia is definitely not cheap to operate in either. So that kind of meant that our runway didn't last as long. Um, uh, we kind of didn't, we didn't do enough UX, test, UX testing, so that was another problem. So we, didn't, we, we should have done a lot more kind of uh, paper testing... Or you know mock up testing with users to make sure that the UX flow was was great because um, without a strong UX, it was it was very difficult to get the traction that we needed. And we learned that after the MVP came out, we were, um, and after we kind of had spent a lot of the money, whereas we should have learned that before at the beginning, um, and done and done cheap tests.
1: Like I think there's an app
0: called Pop. Have you heard of Pop?
1: I haven't heard of Pop actually. No.
0: Um. So Pop's an app that uh, it's an iPhone app. And basically what it lets you do is draw mock-ups of, of software, of screens for an app. So you can have, like, this is what my screen's going to look like, this is where a button's going to be, this is where a video is going to be, this is where some comment's going to be. Okay. And, then, and then you can draw multiple screens and then you can actually link the screens together so you can kind of fake the experience of your app using using Pop. And then, so they say, like, a great way of doing kind of UX testing is to, and this is something that we should have done, but we didn't. Is, is kind of mock up your app using this tool and then walk around and get people to use it. Um, and this is a way to actually 100% free or whatever, $5 for the app or whatever it costs. You can actually do UX testing without even spending a cent on development.
1: Right. Uh, well, actually, I mean, so so it's essentially like a wireframing tool, that, but you can actually build screens. Um, yeah, it's an interactive clickable. wireframing tool. Yeah.
0: So you can link those together and, and actually give it to someone and say, hey, try try and use this. Got it. And then you can kind of watch them.
1: So what, um, so what, what I use is balsamic, which is a, a right. similar, it, it's, it's very quick to build wireframes and you can link all the buttons and everything together. So it is very, very clickable. Um, but it, it's the stage before getting a designer involved. So you can actually test a concept, you know, with prospects straight away, even though it doesn't look pretty, but it, it's, you, it still enables you to test the workflow and get feedback right. immediately as, and, and validation as to whether this model is actually going to work.
0: And um, yeah, and I don't think that looks are very important anymore. I mean, on a mobile or mobile apps, I think they're probably more important, but I think design's a bit of a commodity these days. you have things like bootstrap and you have themes and all that kind of stuff, which makes design um, pretty simple. Mm. I think that the actual UX the experience like the flow of the app is much more important than like whether it's got pretty colors or not
1: exactly now that's spot on so. You know, what sort of other tools do you use? You know, so when you, you've obviously got a small team together for Process Street. What tools do you use to sort of communicate with them on your ideas and your concepts and, and sort of get that validated and, and you know, into code?
0: Um, well, for me, I, well, my, I live with my co-founder, who is my CTO. So, so yes. <laughs> we, we, we generally just shout.
1: That's one way of doing it, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we kind of shout across the living room, but um, uh, we do a lot of we do a lot of our communication just through GitHub. Yeah. So, and the reason that we do that is we try and keep it in GitHub because um, you can actually attach your communication to the code itself. So, when when there's an issue or an error that um, a, a, a bug that comes up or, or a feature that needs to go in, um, if we communicate that within GitHub. That can actually be attached to the code itself uh, as, as as like a comment or whatever, and that that kind of reduces the uh, the workflow of having to jump between two different apps uh, for for Cameron, for our CTO. He can kind of do everything just in one. So that's kind of our main our main communication uh, tool outside of the normal like phone call, face to face, Skype kind of communications. You right. know, we'll, we'll we'll go over we'll go over things. Um, kind of at a higher level, and then when, when things get locked down, then we'll put it into GitHub and use that as the, the kind of main way of tracking everything.
1: Okay, good. Um, and so w- when you first had the idea, you, did you do any mock-ups or anything like that to you know, explain that to your CTO?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, the first the first thing that I did um, was, and it wasn't so much a tech mock-up, it was more of a, uh, like a, a, a product pitch deck. Because the, I guess the difference was that, um, uh, Cameron's a co-founder. So, uh, I, and okay, this was actually another thing that, um, another lesson that I learned from Vitoto, but it was actually that I definitely wanted, um, I definitely wanted my developer to be a co-founder. I didn't want them to be an outsourcer. Um, cause I built software before with outsourcers and... And that was one of the issues with the total is that like this, you know, kind of running out of runway. So I wanted to keep it as lean as possible. I wanted to find someone who, who wouldn't just like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a nice piece of software. You can build it. I wanted someone who, who actually believed in like the vision of, of the company and believed that it would be successful and was going to be more committed than just, um, you know, than just someone that you pay to kind of build something. Because A, that like I knew that from my past experience, you know, you're going to get a lot of bugs, you're going to get a lot of problems and you're going to need a, fix them. And it's always going to take longer and be harder than you expect it to be. And all of that costs money. If you're paying someone, you know, you might budget six months, but I mean, every single project I've ever done in software has always been over budget over time. Um, and kind of taking that experience, I wanted someone who, um, you know, was, was on board and believed in the vision and was able to commit, you know, more than just was willing to commit more than just the normal 40 hour work week. And, more than if you know if the budget runs out it's it's like the thing isn't over it's like let's figure out something you know what i mean mm. um it's you know so so kind of that 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 i wanted that flexibility to be able to to be able to go longer uh than needed and to be able to make more mistakes um because i think that they always happen in software
1: of course yeah I, and you know that's you know a very obvious way of doing it you know working with a really really good tech partner um, obviously a disadvantage to that is, is you're sharing your equity right from out the gate right but um, but you are I mean, right in that you get buy in straight away so and because of that your communication loop doesn't have to be as strong either
0: yeah because you know? you're because you're because you're working you're working so close to that person but i mean like Cameron charges 130 dollars an hour freelancing um, so for me to to, to pay him for six months, you know, or even a year and a half, or whatever it's going to take, would be very expensive. Um, so, so uh, it's it, you know that's the kind of trade off of equity versus versus paying someone, right?
1: Exactly. And um, is it just the the two of you in at the moment, or are you looking for someone else as well?
0: Um, so yeah, we're, we're the two co-founders. I mean, I do I, I have outsources to help with marketing and to help with like uh, the front end, like WordPress website and stuff like that. Which is kind of all my domain. So Cameron basically just focuses on the actual app, um, the actual core product, and then everything else is basically me and outsources helping me get the rest of the business tasks done. Um, So that's kind of the that's the current setup. But uh, yeah, I mean, we are we are definitely looking to grow. Um, I'm looking for a content marketer uh, at the moment, and we're going to be looking for a mobile developer. uh, in
1: probably a few months as well brilliant so the the product itself is you know a way of people who outsource a lot to create their standard operating procedures okay so you're really simplifying the whole process um and by simplifying it you're encouraging people to create more sops um which of course you know is is something that every company needs to do if they really want to grow and scale yeah you know? How did you come across that idea, How the, the whole concept? You know, why did you decide to go into that? Did you do any sort of market research? Um, it, you know, are there competitors out there in the market right now doing that? And how did you decide that there is a, a niche worth going for or a gap in the market?
0: Sure. Um, another, this was another thing that I learned from my first startup. But um, you know, my first startup, I kind of just built it because I'm like, whoa, that's a cool idea. People will probably like this. And I spoke and I talked to some people about the idea and they're like, Oh yeah, that's a cool idea. But there wasn't really any validation, you know, um, for this idea, the point that I started was from scratching my own itch. So I have a, uh, online lead generation business and I work with a number of outsourcers myself. And I was, um, frustrated with um, communicating tasks effectively to them. I was frustrated with being able to quickly create sound operating brain procedures. Um, I was frustrated with um, repeated mistakes from my, from my uh, team and, and I wanted not just a way to be able to, to, to create standard operating procedures quickly, but I wanted a way to actually be able to track and see you know, when and how those tasks have being done as well. So I, wanted, I needed a richer experience and this was basically, um, I'm like, this seems like a pretty simple product, um, surely there's something out there and I just couldn't find anything that had the experience that I wanted. There are a number of document management systems. There are, I mean, you can use stuff like Google Docs, and there are a couple of, uh, well, there's actually a number of SOP um, software uh, competitors out there as well, but most of them use very old technology, and they're kind of structured in like a template document management. It's not very interactive, and it's, and it's very old in terms of the tech. And uh, user experience was just you know n- nowhere near up to up to kind of what I come to expect from from modern uh, modern SaaS apps. You know, the, like I'm I'm looking for something that that's like in a like a Trello or like an Asana that is a really smooth, easy, fast way of doing it. And kind of all the products that I came across were uh, clunky, clunky, and slow and ancient. So I'm like, okay, this is something that I'm willing to pay for right now. I have my card out, trying to buy something and I can't find a solution for it. So that was kind of the point that, that I started from, you know, just, just trying to fulfill my own need. Um, and, and through that, I kind of, I kind of said, okay, this, this could be an opportunity and then I built Pitch Deck and um, basically just started, started showing that around and, and, and gathering feedback and kind of went from there.
1: Brilliant. And, you know, I've noticed, you know, in using the app, it is really slick. You know, you've, you've followed sort of the Trello style technology, as you mentioned, um, that everything sort of in the browser. So it's very quick and interactive to use. Um, and of course, you really focus on simplicity, which I really, really like a lot. Right. So what, what are your goals with the product? Where do you want to take it?
0: Um, I mean, we want to make it amazing. Like we think that, Right now, you know it's kind of a, it's kind of a core product. Um, the, the the experience is getting there from, from the simplicity of the features. So, um, I mean, just to explain just to explain how it works, for people that might not have used it. But basically, what you can do is you can come in and you can create a, uh, a, a process template or a standard offering procedure template. And the way that we structure that is we structure it as a checklist. So you can create each task. Say your your, your checklist is um you know doing a weekly email newsletter, and Um, So, the first thing is you've got to write the content, you've got to proof the content, spell check it, you've got to gather um, any additional links or resources, Um, you've got to put it into into Mailchimp or whatever you're using, Um, you've got to schedule it, and then uh, potentially, depending on who's doing it, you might need a manager to to review it and check off and make sure that it's good to go out or another teammate to kind of do that. So, that kind of process that needs to be done each week on sending out your weekly newsletter for your company. that's basically it's like a step by step process. So step one would be create content. Step two would be you know run your spell checks. Step three would be loaded into Mailchimp, etc. And um, the way that you can build the the way that you can build the template is doing a step by step checklist. But what we've actually done is taken it a step further and uh, allowed you to add allow you to add in rich content into each of those um, checklist task items. So if your task is add this add the content to Mailchimp. Um, inside that, you can have videos or screenshots or text explaining exactly how you want them to do it. Like, you could explain you know, what they should name the campaign and um, you know, exactly how the text should be formatted or exactly how images, what dimensions images need to be. And you, mm-hmm. can, and you can talk through it in, like a, in a screencast or whatever. So, you can create this kind of very specific way of, of doing these tasks um, in, in a manner so that um, A, it keeps your quality high and consistent. So, when people are doing it, you know, each each email that goes out each week is, is the same, uh, or at least the same kind of structure and formatting. Um, B, it's documented in so much detail that if the person doing it ever leaves um, or is sick um, or wants to hand it off to somebody else or train somebody else, then, then somebody can just come in and easily take over that job. So, it helps remo- um, It helps with training your employees, it helps with, um, uh, you know, removing downtime from from sick, uh, from from people being sick or leaving, um, so and it helps you kind of systemize and take a step back and uh, remove yourself as the bottleneck from your business.
1: Excellent, no, so really, that's really really good. I think what, what you know, we'll put a link b- b- below this uh, podcast as well, so people can actually go and take a look um, uh, at the product. And at the moment, you're at uh, you know you're, you're in beta phase, aren't you? So you know you're sure. testing and you're looking for feedback um, from customers. So you want more people to use it so that you can uh, really, really identify whether it's a good fit, right?
0: Yeah, so that's that's basically how we take it. We're following the Lean uh, the lean Startup methodology. For anybody who hasn't read that and is looking to create a software product, definitely highly re- recommend it. as one of the, the top-of-your-list books to read. Um, and basically, they talk about just uh, following this kind of Lean Development cycle where you, you get the most basic version of the product out as possible. And instead of you trying to instead of you trying to make assumptions of what your users want and need, you get the product out and you start talking to your users and then you make your decisions based on the feedback that you get from your users. So it's like you're actually, you actually make your decisions based on real data. So that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to get as many people on and figure out you know, what the most requested features are, what the most um, noticed bugs are, and we, we adjust our priorities based on the feedback from our users.
1: Okay. Brilliant. Now, what is your traffic strategy? So once you, you know, you get this live and you're ready to sort of really get people on board, how are you going to go out to market and actually get people to sign up?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. Um, so from, from, from my learnings of startup to, to kind of really prove a software model, um, there are two things you need to prove. You need to prove your, uh, product market fit hypothesis, and then you need to prove your growth hypothesis. Um, so once you've kind of proven both of those two things, you're at a point where your startup is, is basically perceived as proven or validated and it becomes pretty easy to say, raise money or get more traction, etc. So, I mean, the first step that we've been working on is, is proving the product market fit hypothesis, um, which basically means, is, is the, are you building a product that's valuable enough that people actually want to pay for? Um, that's kind of the first step. And then the second step is proving the growth hypothesis. And the growth hypothesis basically talks about, um, can you get a good enough customer acquisition cost um, relative to your lifetime value uh, of each customer? So that's gonna be our next challenge. Um, And and basically to answer that question, I don't know exactly what traffic strategy is gonna work best, but what we're gonna do is run a series of tests um, across different traffic strategies to figure out which one provides us the best customer acquisition cost. And so things that we're currently trying is um, uh, content marketing. So getting a content marketing team, um, doing very consistent content. I know you have a product, uh, Kunani, which is great for that. So considering testing out some tools like that. um, And yeah, just just building up that that consistent content marketing strategy. also, with content marketing, we're kind of looking at doing some more advanced stuff, so doing retargeting on content, pushing, pushing content views to kind of build the, uh, the blog subscriber base using pay traffic sources, so sort of retargeting through Facebook, running Facebook ads, uh, running YouTube retargeting ads, stuff like that. Um, and uh, beyond beyond, uh, beyond content marketing, look at just generic paid, paid campaigns, um, so Facebook. Um, AdWords, and I know you mentioned uh, this before when we were talking before, uh, running ads on freelancers, So I think that's a great idea. Something that I definitely want to tell us as well. Yeah, you need to um, you need
1: you need to sit you know around anyone who's outsourcing. Right. So any tool, product, service, anything like that where people are involved in outsourcing. So um, another site are all the job boards for the Philippines, for example. Mm-hmm. Um. All, all those job boards, um, they, they'll be perfect for that.
0: Yeah, outsourcing is definitely a great, a great um, uh, I guess, sector that we want to start on. But I think you, you asked this question before, and I didn't really get to answer it properly, but like where, where do we see Process Street going? Um, um, we definitely see it being a lot bigger than just targeting the outsourcing market. Um, you know already now we have we have a number of, of, of uh, users and customers that run that space we have like patent lawyers that just like that use it for every time they need it, they need to run through like a patent check um, we have financial advisors using we have real estate companies using it to follow the process of like every time they need to uh, you know uh, get all the documents from someone to, to to close a deal on a house we have uh, uh, IT maintenance uh, or, or infrastructure companies using it every time they need to deploy a server they run the process um, you know, and, and then we want, and then we want to go out into, for example, mobile. So we want to, we want it for building inspectors, people that need to go around and do inspections on buildings, check the roof, check the piping, um, attach it, integrate it in with photos and stuff like that. So, um, we definitely want, we definitely see it as being a much larger product than just, um, than just the outsourcing space. But, uh, you know, as the product's kind of built as a, as a beta product, you know, we don't have, we don't have mobile, we don't have some of the more advanced stuff that um, you know, maybe finance companies might lead, need, such as parallel processes or process dependencies, kind of getting a bit bit closer to the BPM space. Um, outsourcing is definitely a great place for us to start and get initial traction and the initial user
1: base. I think um, um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and I think the the great thing, um, you know, with, with these types of products is. Being able to, you know, specifically target one niche, and you know, if you master that niche, then you can sort of grow um, and tar- target another one. You know, I was at, I was at a, an event the other day, um, and the the one comment that came out at the event was like, if you look at Facebook, what's Facebook's market? Well, basically anyone with a face. But when they started, their market was just Harvard, right. and you know, all they did was conquer Harvard. Right, and then once they did that, then they expanded it to the other Ivy League universities, right. you know. And then after that, they went after everything.
0: Yeah, it's you a pretty know? common story, I think, because it's it's like basically as a startup, you don't really have the resources to um, to target everyone, and also it's difficult to kind of get your messaging get your messaging correct. Um, and honestly, that's been that's been a bit of a uh, you know a bit of a a challenge for us is trying to, is trying to figure out exactly you know wh- which markets to target and, and kind of drilling down on our niche um and it's something that we still uh still need to work on
1: cool the um so you know that's really good now obviously you're you know a software entrepreneur and you've got uh, other businesses as well how do you keep focused or, or how do you sort of manage your personal productivity because this is something that i i get questioned on a lot you know, um, because there's so much going on, and we also have a bit from ADD. So, you know, how what what tools or mindset do you use to sort of really, you know, get through your day and ensure you stay on track?
0: Sure. Well, yeah, I'm definitely a uh, like productivity tool fanatic. Um, so, I mean, I use everything. I have. I use Signer, I use Trello. I use Workflowy. I use Evernote. I use Streak for my CRM um, and uh, yeah, we use we use GitHub for, for the software. So I definitely use our uh, leverage tools a lot um, to, to keep me on top. Um, and depending on what the task is and, and kind of what's going on, I'll use different tools. So I'll give you an example. So Asana I use for uh, my lead generation business mostly. I honestly don't actually use it myself that much, but I have my team use it and Asana is great because it logs everything. So um, it's a way for me to go in and kind of, if there's ever an issue or if I need to get data on what's going on in a particular project, whatever, I can go in and kind of check that. But I find it's a bit slow for me to use um, myself. Um, Trello I use for content, so I find it great to kind of visualize posts as they're being created and guest posts um, and that kind of strategy. Uh, Workflowy, I just use to to organize my brain to just dump. Uh, I don't know if you've, have you ever heard of Workflowy?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love yeah, it. So, love its simplicity.
0: Yeah. So I use Workflowy just kind of, I used to use Evernote for this, for just kind of dumping thoughts, but I find Workflowy has a much, much nicer structure just for text and ideas. Um, and then I use Evernote for, you know, document management, screenshots, um, and just kind of collect, like like clipping different sites and websites and everything like that to kind of um, just dump everything into one place that I can do searches on. So that's what's, I'm not, I'm not a very like innately organized person. Um, so tools like Evernote and Gmail where I don't have to actually think about how I'm going to organize something, I can just dump everything I want into it and I can use search to find stuff quickly uh, are tools that I really like. And Workflow is the same kind of way. Even though there's a structured Workflow, I still heavily use the search feature. Um, because to me, I'm more about just like dumping stuff in and then being able to recall it quickly without having to think about where I'm going to organize, uh, where I'm going to organize what I'm
1: doing. Brilliant.
0: So, yeah, I use a lot of tools, but I don't know if I'm probably the best person to talk to about productivity organization because <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> a bit of a mess sometimes.
1: <laughs> Aren't we all right? Yeah. Um, cool. So, and what would you sort of recommend, you know, for people, um, you know, starting up, what would you recommend as the best books to, to go out and read? So
0: if you're looking to build a software product, yeah. uh, Well, the lean startup definitely um, is a great one. And I mean, then it's going to come down to, uh, it's going to come down to, I guess, what your experience is. I mean, for me, uh, one great thing I find is from from being very heavily, a very heavy user of a lot of, of a lot of kind of different tools and web apps. Is that it gives you a great insight into like user experience um, and product from that perspective, um, but so there I know there are a number of great great design and UX books out there which I haven't really read that much, but but um, uh, if if that's something that you don't have much experience with, then I think that almost product and UX is almost the most important thing. Okay. Like, I, so so it, it really depends on on the level of, of experience you have um there are great books by 37 signals they, I've read all their stuff um, they have a lot of great books on they they talk about there's like their main book I don't remember what it is but it talks about like how they, how they build Basecamp. and they basically talk about um, kind of building a product without trying to look for funding so they they build it themselves they they, they, they focus on they talk about how they built Basecamp for the first time. So they were a team of, they were doing a web consultancy. And if you don't know who 37 signals are, they're the guys who created Ruby on Rail. And they have a Basecamp and a bunch of other really, really, really successful SaaS products. Um, and they were a team doing web consulting. And they kind of used their web consulting business to get to, tr- to generate revenue. And then on the side, as a side project, they started building Basecamp. And they didn't go out and look for funding. They didn't try and get it done quickly. They just like, like plugged it out, plugged away at it, just making it better, better, better. Um, and never kind of got that stress of, of running out of money or anything like that because they already had a, a profitable consulting business and they just kept doing that until they got Basecamp to a point where it was generating enough revenue, had enough users so that they could actually stop their consulting business. Absolutely. And, it, and that's kind of the model that we've taken across the street as well because um, I think it's a lot lower stress um, and also, you know, like I was mentioning before, there are so many unforeseen that they gonna to up in software. Like if you're a first time software entrepreneur, like whatever budget you put out, whatever whatever like timeline you set, triple both those things. You know, like it's there are so many things you're never ever gonna imagine that would come up that are gonna come up. And um and you know, if you go, okay, I have twenty grand and three months to like make this happen, like I would say that's a that's a pretty risky position to put yourself in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the book by the way is rework. Um, yeah, and, you know, some of, some of the things that also come out of that that uh, that I really loved is, um, first of all, saying no. You know, saying no to feature requests. Because oh, yeah. one thing that uh, Basecamp is great for is simplicity and ease of use. And, um, and that's all down to being really, really strong and resisting customer pressure and really only putting in the features that are really, really essential and, and add value.
0: Mm-hmm
1: Um, because it's really really easy especially in the early days to just build feature after feature after feature thinking that you know this is what's going to make the product great but in fact you know what makes the product great is the user experience exactly okay and that's the key thing there's a
0: a lot of there's a lot of uh, mistakes people make around that Um, so yeah i think yeah you want to keep it as simple as possible and like the thing is you want to especially when and especially when you're just getting your product out so don't hold back your release of your product because, and this is kind of a lean startup methodology, don't hold back your release of your product because you think you need this feature or that feature. Like, don't worry about it. Like, the first versions of Twitter or Facebook of every single product that you know that were out, absolutely horrible, don't even look like they look like now. Um, And they would have never gotten to that point if they hadn't have released those products early on and gotten the feedback and adjusted their development trajectory based on the feedback. That they got so you want to get the product out as soon as possible. Don't hold back for extra features. When you do want to build features, make sure that um, you know the features that you're selecting are uh, the features that have been most requested by your most uh, aligned customers. So ideally, customers that are paying you. Um, and 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 if one person asks for one feature once, uh, don't go. Okay, we'll do it. Wait and make sure that a lot of people that it's a that, that it's a kind of a, a highly requested um, feature so that you know that you're, you're going to be satisfying a larger portion of your customer base versus just, like, one person who needs one thing done. Um, and uh, also, another tip, never ever tell somebody that you're going to have a feature done by a particular time. <laughs>
1: like yeah, even, yeah.
0: If you, even if you know you're going to be building that feature, don't say, oh, yeah, we're going to have it done in two weeks, because you're probably not. So just say yeah it's something that's on the roadmap that we're going to be working on in the future like don't give a time because people are gonna come back to me like yo it's two weeks for where that's where's that feature and uh, yeah <laughs> in software everything takes longer
1: yeah the golden rule there is always under promise over deliver
0: exactly but um yeah where where' we're, we're, we're set up to scale so we're on a uh, ec2 we've got so there's two servers for the product so there's like the API server which is like the kind of core app server and then there's the front end server and they're both on C two load balances and then the database is on ids so it's all set up like infinite scale basically
1: how much does that cost you uh
0: that total because they're all on micros so um not much 100 so bucks a month coming. right 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 yeah it's 100 bucks a month on uh yeah for all those three servers and they only so then but like if they hit 80 percent load then they spawn new servers Right. Um so that that cost goes up if traffic goes up. Um, right. and then we're hosting the WordPress site on Pressbody which which was used to be ZippyKid. Pressbody is really cool. You should check them out now. And basically there are it's a it's scalable WordPress hosting. Mm. So it's like they manage the load balancing, the IDS and like a CDN, like content delivery network all for you. Right. So like all parts of the product are on like infinite scale basically. Right. And it's super cheap. Like that whole setup's like 125 bucks a month. That's like, that's like super lean. I mean, it's probably, it's probably worth even doing it again. But like, that's, that's, you know, one of the huge developments that's happened in, uh, in technology in the last five years, right? For $125 a month, we have an infinitely scalable content, like CDN delivered, like worldwide, um, uh, you know, server setup that 10 years ago would have required a team of sysadmins to kind of manage and build like in a data center, you know? Um, and now for 125 bucks a month and whatever a week worth of config, um, you know we have an infinitely scalable platform. That's
1: really cool. Good, good stuff. Brilliant. So Vinny, any part, any sort of final thoughts uh, for you know any of my tribe who are looking to either start software businesses or are in the process of scaling, you know their SaaS businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely think that. Um, uh, you know, building software is definitely one of the most fun and, and rewarding things that I've done um, because you're you're building like you're building a product from the concept of of delivering real value. You know, um, it's kind of different to to people that might be like, coming from the marketing world and stuff like that, where it's kind of build a product with great copy so that you can sell it. You know, and for us with our products, it's 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 been great because we've just been focusing on trying to build a product like that. You know, will sell itself. So just trying to offer so much more value than than what we charge that people like can't. Uh, you know, people are like, they'd be stupid to not to not convert that. You know, and I've, and I, so I definitely think that if you know if it's something that you're that you're interested in and uh, and obviously the the monetary and upside potential is, is infinite. Software is the fastest growing uh, space in the world easily, and I still believe software is you know at one percent of it, of its potential um, as as a whole industry. You know, I think that the innovation in software is, is going to only accelerate, and you know, where software is right now, it's only 1% of where it's going to be 100 years from now, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I definitely it's a great space, but uh, yeah, definitely make sure that you, um, you're prepared uh, for, for the long run. It, t- it takes time, and uh, be prepared for uh, things taking longer and costing more than you expect yeah so i just want to say i guess if anyone uh, wants to check out our product it's free for teams of up to three people right now and you can get it at uh, www.process.st
1: that's great vinny i really appreciate you coming on the show
0: No, right it's great speaking to you paul
1: thanks for that and thanks to all the listeners if you enjoyed the show you can get the show notes from disruptware.com and if you are not a subscriber and you're listening to this on the itunes store then please visit disruptware.com and sign up That's it for this episode. Look out for next week's show. I'm Paul Clifford and thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the
1: Disruptware podcast. Check us out on the web at disruptware.com.